my hair is becoming so long by this point uh, that it's going to actually look much, much worse. Like you might think in metal that, yeah, no, long hair, hair, that's, that's going to be good. It's going to be good. Not with me. It never has been good. I actually, my hair has grown much longer than it. You usually see it on camera before. It just looks like a coconut. <laughs> it's really bad. I hope it doesn't get to that point. Otherwise, I might have to cut it myself in isolation. And that might actually be much, much worse. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. So here's a very interesting thing. Uh, since the dawn of digital music, there have been people from all sides of the fence that have had a more or less a quiet debate on whether digital instruments are real instruments and whether or not they should be used. Scents and pads alike were always sent through the shredder by many different musicians, musicologists and music lovers alike. It's always been a bit of a, not a heated topic, but it's definitely been something that has been, you know, when brought up does bring out strong emotions in some people. Uh, and to this day, the debate still continues. You might not hear it as much, uh, but it definitely is still going on. Uh, like the, many musicians, when the, in this when this debate is brought up, they usually go for the real deal approach when it comes to mostly to the musical production, and this is mostly in the case of drums. Drums, nowadays at least, have become more or less the center for this kind of debate. In recent days, with more and more musicians, especially in modern metal who usually opt for using sample drums, or at the very least, mixing in sample drums with the live drums to give that sort of, uh, that raw and polished effect, which is very hard to pull off, but if you got a good mixer, you can pull it off. So given that this discussion is clearly not going anywhere, I wanted to take a dive into this topic and find out once and for all, which approach is truly better. And uh, full disclosure, like, the, yeah, you don't need to, take what I'm saying to heart. You can just go off of whatever information I give you and form your own opinion. But uh, whatever conclusion I come to while there was research involved, yes, really. Uh, and I'm looking at both sides as unbiased as I possibly can. Honestly, the conclusion I come to is more or less going to be affected by the fact that I personally use sampled drums in my music uh, because this, it, uh, this is very clear. I'm not a drummer. <laughs> I didn't know if that was clear. I can play guitar. I can write for drum for uh, drum parts, but I am not personally a drummer. I do not have a drum kit. I don't even have an electronic kit. And I don't even know how to play the drums. So I am someone who does use programmed drums. And that's something that I kind of rely on for the music that I do release. But with that out of the way, let's get into the the one side of this discussion. Why are live drums usually preferred? Well, that's actually pretty cut and dry. It's very clear why that's used. Uh, we've been using live drums for since their creation in terms of music. Like drums, like live drums of any kind, way back before the standard uh, rock kit was a thing. Percussion has always been live. It's always been physical. It, it never has been programmed, probably because there were no computers back in the day. Uh, and yeah, because at that point, digital samples, yeah, they were not a thing in the early days of not only just music in general, but also recorded music. Back then, if you wanted uh, drums to your song, you had to either perform them yourself or, God forbid, hire a drummer. Ooh. The thought of doing that, oh, working with people, just nasty. 
But in the end, the benefits, in my opinion at least, outweigh the negatives. Live drums, much like any instrument being performed by an actual person, was able to capture the human feel to it. We always like to hear the human part of music. Not to mention live drums have that extra punch and power that can be captured in the recording, and that's mostly a result of the player being a badass behind the kit. Examples of that specifically are found in plenty of early heavy metal and thrash metal, and some of that is still found today in many of the bands who choose to go with the, quote, real deal route. Because at the end of the day, drum samples, no matter how hard you try, you will not be able to cre- uh, recreate that experience of, of that kind of power hit of the snare and the, that, and the clicks of the kick the absolute sheer force of the symbols. You cannot recreate that with samples. You can try. No one's saying you won't, that you can't try, but you're going to have a difficult time replicating that sound. Even with the most high-quality drum samples, you're not going to have a good time with that. The sound you want at the end of the day, though, is at the mercy of the player. And many metal bands who still go for this, quote, real-deal approach, they're all, they're all good. The player is usually pretty good at doing that. But at some point, you know, now the question asked is usually, you know, if you try to uh, to try and recreate the sound, the the question is is usually asked is, wouldn't it have it been easier to just record in an actual studio with live drums if you're trying to recreate that that power sound that can only be accomplished with live drums? Like, wouldn't have that just been easier? Well, let's actually look at why sample drums are usually preferred. Uh, and it's usually, it's just for quick convenience. Drum grooves uh, that are created for demos, mostly. It's an idea that, uh, it could be for an idea that you came up with uh, to send to your drummer, or uh, or if you're just coming up with it, uh, and you're probably going to go into the studio at some point, you're going to record it, uh, you're just practicing on your little uh, practice pad, that, uh, and uh, yeah, like whatever, like whatever works. Or maybe you can even like, just have the idea set up so that maybe one day you can try and do something different with it. But to use them in the finished product, well, that is a different story. Like that's, that really depends on the situation because usually it's preferred that for final product, you don't use specifically drum samples for your actual drum kit. Because I don't know, as a critic, I, in, in metal music, I hate to hear that. Like again, sample drums, I don't, mind hearing it, but if it's just clearly that canned snare sound with very clearly digitally processed uh, hi-hats, yeah, I'm going to take a bit of issue with that because it clashes very badly with the metal instruments. Uh, but again, it it really depends on the situation. And not too long ago, you may have seen, I asked Sunfire TV about something similar to this. I asked her about, like, you know, why she has an electronic drum kit, which if you don't know who she is, she's a Twitch streamer uh, on Twitch, obviously, and she plays the drums on there, and she has an electronic kit. So I asked her why she had an electronic kit, and, well, that well, I, I didn't personally ask her why she had it. She had it. I mostly asked her a question that related to that, but she more or less explained that there are two people next to her apartment, next to her home, and there's also one person right below her. So basically, live drumming is not an option for her. And honestly, she's not alone, because there are plenty of people 
who live in apartments or condos or in tightly packed neighborhoods who would end up causing a lot of problems if they had a live kit. Basically, it's the noise. The noise is the biggest problem here. You can play on electronic kit or program drum grooves without disturbing your neighbors. That is kind of the key thing here. That's why a lot of people usually opt out of recording with live drums. Now you might be thinking, well, why, why not just record the live drums in the studio instead of just using sampled drums in your finished music? Well, that is definitely something I would go for most times, but there is a slight problem with that too. Some, not all, but some of the people who ask this question either have never been in the studio or have, but have had their money given to them by their daddy. Studios are very expensive. Okay, not I'm not making it seem like it's not lawyer expensive, but they are not cheap, more so if you're a drummer. Drum studios are more or less different from the regular recording studios that you usually go to if you're a guitar player or bass player or just a vocalist. And the buildings that have both are usually more expensive. I, I can't speak for the rest of the world, but I know that's the case around close to where I live. And again, like with those prices, many people are living in apartments, condos, or tightly packed neighborhoods. Chances are, if you're living in those areas, then you might not have the money just lying around. That kind of money doesn't exactly uh, just sit around because studios pay by the hour. Meanwhile, live drums, uh, yeah, you'll probably have to buy the actual sample pack, but that's a one-time purchase that you can use for the rest of your computer's life or the rest of your life if you can transfer it over. Studio time, that's by the hour. That adds up the longer you're in the studio. So I'll leave it off of this. Uh, sample drums are definitely the cheaper option for a lot of people. They are convenient, and they will not result in a 911 call from the neighbors. But there is still a case to be made for the power of live drums. Really, at the end of the day, it all just boils down to the situation that you're in. That's all it boils down to. Can you use live drums? Can, do, why can you not use live drums? Like, if you can use live drums, by all means, do it. You are lucky to have that. You're able to do that, and, and you're able to uh, go through the painstaking task of being able to record it with multiple different mics set up. Then, yeah, do it. Definitely do it. If I could do it, I would totally use live drums for the music I write and, you know, don't release. <laughs> You'd be surprised. I write a lot of music. Um, but there is... Honestly, at the end of the day, there's no real excuse for shaming those who use sampled drums, like or like or just use that in their music. Like that's there's no real uh, excuse for that. It makes no sense. In a lot of cases, it's a stylistic choice. In others, that's not really much of an option. Like again, mixing in the uh, sampled drums with live drums, that's a different story. I, I, that's more stylistic. I feel like, and it, in a way, it kind of does add to it. In my personal opinion, it kind of combines the best of both worlds, the polish and the raw power, if it's mixed right. But really, it, in a lot of places, there's no other option for these people. Basically, it's like shaming a diabetic for taking insulin. Chances are, the other option is death. This episode of the Metal Robot Podcast was remastered as of May 2021 to ensure great sound quality for your enjoyment. Honestly, I didn't have to, but if you want a reason to avoid responsibility, then you gotta take it, right?
Anyways, if you're enjoying the podcast, consider subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or on YouTube, so that any future episodes will appear right in your feed. Anyways, let's get back to what's being said. I have no idea what's happening, actually. I'm just recording this separate, and I'm not sure what I'm talking about back then because I forgot everything. It was a while ago. What do you want me to do? Enjoy. You're listening to MRP, the Metal Robot Podcast. Honestly, I had other plans uh, to put in this section of the podcast. Like, we were going to have another uh, three-topic podcast um, for this episode. But, honestly, I couldn't help myself. There is such... It does, and there's a thing that happened on the internet recently that everyone is loving while we're all stuck at home in quarantine because it's the, it's, oh my gosh, like long story short, the gracious world of radio, live radio and bands performing badly on live radio. They have graced us, the children of the internet with another fantastic video to laugh at. So I'm sure you've heard by now, Puddle of Mud <laughs> went on Sirius XM to perform About a Girl by Nirvana. They were performing the uh, the cover, like uh, their own cover of that song, specifically like they were doing a, an acoustic version of, you know, the unplugged uh, version, of course. We're kind of reminiscent of that old style, except for one glaring flaw. If you watch the video, you can probably guess what that flaw is. Not even, even if you haven't watched the video yet, just hearing that it's puddle of mud, you can suspect something fun is going to pop up there. If you haven't watched the video yo, uh, yet, video yo, 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 if you haven't watched the video yet <laughs> and you have the ability to stop this podcast right now and go watch it and then come back so that we can laugh at it together. I'm happy to wait. Go ahead. You, you can click away for now. Have you done it? Good. So puddle of mud. What the hell was this? <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I saw the video and I, well, for the first time and I could not stop laughing at my cats in the background and she's concerned why I'm laughing so hard. Nacho. Yes. Have you heard about puddle of mud, Nacho? Have you heard about puddle of mud? It's oh my gosh. So yes, we all hear you. So I, I don't know what to say. Like it's, it's weird to hear it like this because yeah, no, we already knew West Scantland could not sing. We kind of were aware of that this is borderline, like painful to not only listen to, but also it's painful for him to perform. Like watch the video through while he's singing these clearly out of his range moments. His face is going tomato red. He is in sheer pain at performing this, this song. And yeah, I can sense that because we feel the same way. And it, it's so, oh my God, it's become such a toxic video, especially like uh, with the backlash it got that legit uh, the the video, the original video from Sirius XM is now unlisted. The only way I'm able to play it now is if I not only have the link, which I'm, of course, going to share in this podcast. Of course I am. And But the way I'm going through it is going through a freaking Jared Dines video where he reacted to it. And yeah, we all feel more or less the same way. It's... <laughs> 
Like, how do you like, okay, about a, about a girl, it's, it's hard to cover any song by Nirvana without anybody getting pissy with you because uh, any song by a band that is, has such a huge legacy covering any of their songs in any form um, is almost a slap in the face to the band. According to the fans, we don't know anything about the band, but according to the fans, that's the case. Now, <laughs> but about a girl, it's such a, it's not a complicated, it's not a simple song, but it's way easier than this. Like not just in terms of performing it on the guitar, but performing it as a vocalist. It's really not that difficult. And I know it's not that difficult. Not because I have friends who can't sing and even they can sing this better than he can. In fact, it's actually so easy. Wes Scantlin, the, the lead singer of Puddle of Mud, even he can perform it better than he's performing it here. Uh, not too long after this, uh, uh, Ultimate Guitar came out that put an article out. They, uh, of course, talked about the video, uh, but they also linked a video, uh, a live fan-made video from a Puddle of Mud concert 10 years ago where they performed this song in more or less the same fashion that they have here, only I think it's just Wes Scanlon on the stage. And he sounds fine. Like, it's not an amazing cover of this song, but, oh my God, it's way better than what we got 10 years later. <laughs> it's insane what, that, what the difference is. And it's the same freaking person. So at this point, I actually have a couple theories about why this version sucked so much. Uh, the first one is that, um, is that, uh, that, you know, after... Welcome to Galvania freaking went horribly wrong in terms of not only critical response, but I think even sales were dropping for that as well. I think they wanted to create a viral video to get their name back out there, to get to get people talking about Puddle of Mud again uh, in a different light to kind of distract from that that thing from last year. Uh, but the other theory is that somehow, some way, Sobriety has made West Scantlin a worse singer, which is a weird thing to think about. Usually, you don't get better at performing music after a couple hours hanging out with Mr. Daniels. That doesn't usually happen, right? Like, I, I'm not the one who thinks that, right? Like, that doesn't, that's, that doesn't, that's not supposed to happen. So, honestly, I think the first, the, the, uh, the first, Theory is probably more correct than the last. Again, I don't know if even that one's correct. We don't know. But all we know is that, oh my God, this is the funniest thing ever. Oh my God. The comment section of the original video are just beautiful. The the comment that I just found right now as looking at it. Uh, me, Courtney Love was the worst thing that ever happened to Kurt Cobain. Puddle of mud. Hold my beer. <laughs> it's it's amazing. <laughs> Another one. The drummer's got it right, keeping his head down so no one <laughs> recognizes him. Another one. I went into the song with low expectations. They should have been lower. <laughs> the entire world. 2020 sucks, and it possibly can't get any worse. Puddle of mud. Hold my meth. <laughs> That, oh, here's a really dark one. If Kurt didn't kill himself back then, he would have after hearing this. Oh, that's messed up. Oh, what I love it. So what are we to take away from this whole thing? Honestly, 
Puddle of Mud sucks still. They probably always will suck. And uh, don't cover Nirvana. That's something we can take away from this. Beep Beep, the 2021 robot has spoken and said that you should follow me on socials at The Metal Robot on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at The Dot Metal Robot and let me know what topics and guests you want on future episodes of The Metal Robot Podcast. Now, coming up, we're going to make someone cry, so keep on listening. You're listening to MRP, The Metal Robot Podcast. I love metal music. I really do. Uh, as you can probably tell by the fact that there's a, an entire metal podcast with my voice on it. Uh, but I also love complicated music. Now, I bring this up because as a fan of both, the two are usually combined to create some amazing music. It's true. The second you add complicated to metal, a whole new world is opened up for you. From the sweeping scope of progressive metal, the epic orchestral arrangements for symphonic metal, and the riffage of metal core. <laughs> I'm sorry, I couldn't even finish that with a straight face. Um, but no, the, the first two genres are worth looking at in this discussion of complexity in metal because the argument can be made that they derive from two separate styles of music. And not to mention, uh, when you talk about complicated, they can derive back to uh, two separate styles of music, jazz and classical music. The two obviously are very complex for various different reasons, but complexity is more or less something that is synonymous with those styles. It's rarely, if ever, simple in those styles. And in metal, you can find plenty of simple in metal, but there's a lot of complex there as well. So with that in mind, of course, it did not take long for someone to ask the internet this very important question. Quote, is metal more complex than jazz and classical music? Now, that question is actually an interesting question, and I was really not really considering doing this as a subject for the podcast or even a subject for an editorial on the YouTube channel, but uh, a musicologist whom, for the sake of this podcast, we don't need to use his real name here, we're just going to call him Ben, because since he likes Ben Johnson a lot, I thought it was appropriate. Also, I'm very unoriginal with names, and that's a bit common name. Uh, but anyway, so I saw this question. Uh, so he saw this question, and he decided to uh, put in his very valid uh, two cents into this. And his answer was no. Full stop, period, no. Well, that's one way to end a conversation right there. Okay, cool. Nice job opening up the conversation for more debate. That's fantastic. Now, given the fact that he is an expert in musicology and he has a PhD in music and cultural anthropology, it's really worth taking his no seriously. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe he is possibly right about uh, that. But I personally was curious to know if he's right. I wanted to look at his argument and see how that kind of squares with the metal that, you know, we all know and love. Now, I personally don't know a lot about classical music, nor do I know a lot about jazz. I know uh, some stuff, but I don't know everything. But, but I do know a lot about metal. So with that knowledge, I decided to think about this and really decided to try and wrap my head around it because this question and that answer kept rattling my brain for the past few days. And to answer the question of, is metal more complex than jazz and classical music? The answer is not really, 
but that's not for the reasons you're thinking. And to start with, the question itself makes no fucking sense to get really into it. Like, okay, look at the question. Is metal more complex than jazz and classical music? What exactly do you mean by metal? (laughs) Really, anybody who has been in metal long enough knows that that is a false question right there. Like, what are you talking about when you say metal? Like, are you talking about Dio, Black Sabbath? What about Metallica, Iron Maiden? Are you referring to Dream Theater, Periphery? How about Disturbed, Mudvayne, Slipknot? Maybe Trivium, Cannibal Corpse? Do you see the flaw in that question yet? (laughs) Like, that is a very flawed question. The metal world is so convoluted, like the the metal extended universe is so bunched up and convoluted that trying to compare the broad term of metal to anything else is like trying to compare every human on earth to a single squirrel. The confusion still remains, why a squirrel, why all of humanity, but it's also at the end of the day, not really something that warrants a comparison. That's a broad blanket term to more specific. And even then, not really that specific. Like, what forms of classical music are you talking about? What specific artists are you talking about? Jazz. Any specifics in mind? Like, what era of jazz? Jazz has evolved quite a bit. But even if we can weed it down, uh, wind it down to a clear answer, you still cannot get a clear answer from this. Honestly, the most clear and concise answer you can get from, uh, from this whole thing, the only... The clearest and most concise that you can get is still going to have an asterisk attached to that answer. Something that I don't think Ben clearly thought about. Which actually, on that note, let's bring him back into this whole thing. We almost forgot about Ben for a second. Now, like I said, he is a musicologist and he has a PhD in music and cultural anthropology. And he basically saw this question and just said, full stop, no. Uh, but because he does have degrees in this topic, we should probably consider his full stop no and why it might actually be important to note that. The problem is, looking at his actual answer and taking his answer seriously, he contradicts himself in his own argument, and he makes points that don't answer the question. To be fair to him, the question is pretty much moot anyways, but really, like he doesn't even, he doesn't, doesn't even try to answer it properly. Like, first of all, he starts off his answer by telling you the important part about this whole thing. Quote, I mean, it's a bit of a fool's errand to be judging forms of music by their complexity anyways, because what matters is whether or not the music speaks to you. That is a very important note to hit on. It doesn't really matter about judging different styles in their complexity. What matters is how it relates to you. That is a great point to hit on. If only he had just stopped there. (laughs) Because he then went on to compare the various uh, metal riffs that he could find in transcriptions to stuff like Elliot Carter's double concerto in terms of the use of something called metric modulation. Now, you don't need to know the specifics of, of metric modulation for this piece. Uh, it's just a fun way for composers to mess with the music's tempo. If you want to know more about it, it's a fun uh, technique, by the way. If you're a composer, I'd definitely say look it up, figure out how to use it. It's pretty fun. Um, but you don't need to know the specifics. If you want to know more, do a Google search. Um, but the problem is, you, first of all, you can't compare the use of a music theory technique and trick 
between different genres because both genres are using different aspects of music theory for different purposes. They're setting different tones, different emotions. They're uh, doing it for different purposes, for different feelings. Like you're getting, you're comparing the the meat and potatoes of very, very different cultures here. What you can do is compare them between different artists, like different specific artists uh, and how these specific artists use it because one could probably be using it to enhance the music. The other could just ruin everything. Um, the problem is you didn't really do that, did you? Like in your argument, you only brought up one artist in the classical music genre. That's Elliot Carter. And that's it. You also did the same thing when arguing about microtonal tuning and how Ben Johnston intensely uses it for his string quartets, which is true. It is very true, but that's not really the point here because yeah, you brought up these guys in classical music, but you didn't name a single metal band in your arguments. Like, Ben, I hope you're aware that in order to make a comparison, you need the second thing to compare it to. Like, I, okay, I'll, I'll admit, I personally don't know any uh, metal bands who use microtonal tuning. Like, I'm sure they exist. This is metal. It's very broad. It's very diverse. I'm sure they exist. So if, if they do exist, uh, please tweet to me. Let me know of any bands that use this technique. Uh, tweet to me at The Metal Robot. Um, but... I at the very least do know plenty of examples of uh, metric modulation in metal, especially mostly with the progressive metal bands, the the gent bands. Uh, like you'll find a lot of the metric modulation stuff in there. Some you'll maybe find a few in some of the not as like crazy complex genres, uh, like maybe heavy metal. Metalcore might use it a couple times, um, but yeah, you'll find a lot of that stuff there too. But it's mostly in the progressive metal genres like Dream Theater, Periphery, Between the Buried and Me, Mashuga. I think he's even done it a few times. Opeth has done it multiple times. Like not even just in the in the current progressive metal days that they're in right now, but even like in the black and death metal days that they used to be a part of. Like metric modulation is not uncommon in the in the more complicated sphere of music. Symphonic bands have used it. Uh, bands have used it too. Uh, Epica is a good example of bands who've used it before in that sphere. If you want a more specific example in terms of like an actual song, uh, Ben, I encourage you to look up Dream Theaters in the name of God. You'll hear it come in when the second verse kicks in. And that is going to be your good example. So you can, if you want to keep arguing your point, then you better have a second comparison. And I just gave you one. You have no excuse for metric modulation. You can compare Elliot Carter to Dream Theater. Now, I usually would not be arguing this hard on a guy who is just stating an opinion that he has, uh, which, yeah, I wouldn't be usually doing that. The problem is he didn't start it that way. He actually explicitly said uh, in the beginning of his argument, this is not a matter of opinion. I, 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 uh, <clears throat> Ben, were you under the influence of any non-FDA-approved medication when you wrote this horseshit? Seriously, like, 
Yes, it is a matter of your opinion. You spent the entire argument stating specific examples of what classical musicians do compared to the broadness of a genre you clearly have little to no knowledge about outside of probably Metallica and Scorpions. Like, yeah, guess what? If you want to make a, a comparison that means nothing except to probably prove your point, I can do that too. Watch this. Compared to the entirety of human beings in the world whom I'll never interact with, nor have I ever interacted with, Ben is fucking brain dead. But to quote your comment, this is not a matter of opinion. But okay, ripping on someone with a degree that apparently is given out to anybody in cereal boxes, we haven't answered the question. Is metal more complex than jazz and classical music? And the answer is... It doesn't really matter. I think that was one of the only smart things that Ben said in his entire argument. Because who gives a shit about what's complex? Like, who honestly cares? If you like it, you like it. Like, in my reviews, I don't downgrade music I review because it's not using microtonal composition techniques in a specific way. Not even because of, uh, of what matters is what speaks to you. Like, that is obviously a big portion of it. But it doesn't matter because metal, jazz, and classical are three very different styles of music. Very different. They have different methods of storytelling. They have different methods of displaying emotions, different tones, different sounds, different everything. There is nothing really similar between the three genres, other than certain genres will take notes from each other. Metal especially will take notes from those two genres in multiple different ways. But at the end of the day, even then, they're still very different from each other. Like, to put it in simple terms, comparing the complexity of metal, jazz, and classical music is like comparing the taste values of apples, oranges, and bananas. You're not going to get a lot of useful information out of that kind of uh, that kind of think tank. So at the end of it all, the missing piece of this puzzle is something that I hope that you take away from this segment or even from this entire podcast. It's four simple words, but it gives a clear and concise answer to this question. And that answer is who the fuck cares? You just listened to MRP. The Metal Robot Podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the Metal Robot Podcast. You can check out everything that I do on the internet. YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. YouTube is Metal Robot Reviews. Facebook and Twitter, at The Metal Robot. Instagram, at The.MetalRobot. You can also check out everything that we do on one place, TheMetalRobot.com, for videos, reviews, press, and so much more. I'm Tom McKay. Thank you so much for listening. Click subscribe if you haven't already. I'll see you in the mosh pit next time. Have a good night.